With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello there, one foot down readers and listeners, and welcome to this, the fifth episode of the OFD podcast. I'm Joe Schuler, and I'm going to be hosting tonight. I have the great honor and privilege to be joined by our head writer and uh, Mr. Know-It-All when it comes to Notre Dame football, none other than Mr. Eric Murtaugh. Good evening, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? Fantastic. And we also have with us the four-point shooter himself, Mr. Simon Chun. Simon, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you, Joe? Fantastic. So, guys, there was once a curse that was known as may you live in interesting times, right? And uh, I think the only way to define this offseason has certainly been interesting. But here we are. We've slogging through summer. We are only inches away, gentlemen, from fall camp opening up. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend our fifth OFD podcast episode kind of rolling through some of those great opportunities to discuss what's going to be, what are the biggest stories, what are we really thinking about as camp's about to open, uh, and, and most of that's really going to center around positional battles, uh, and, and that's a, a key topic anytime a team opens camp. So let's start, guys, at the the position that everyone wants to talk about and everyone wants to know about, particularly when we start talking about Notre Dame, which is the guy who's going to be under center, or in, in our case, possibly in shotgun, the quarterback position. Uh, we've got essentially three guys uh, on the roster right now that everyone's got their eye on. Um, and, and let's start with, with uh, you know, kind of one of the older hands among them, which is Andrew Hendricks. Here we've got a guy who's been on the roster and in the program for a while. You know, Eric, is, is he, in your assessment, a career backup? Is he a guy that we're going to see on the field this year in a belldozer-like you know, kind of change of pace thing? Or does he really have a shot at, at getting the opening day snaps this year? Well, first off, I wanted to start off uh, talking about the quarterback, saying that I don't think there's going to be a ton of drama uh, during fall camp with this position. I think that's going to be a little bit different for, for people to handle. Uh, I think it's a good thing for the team. Um, Maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, as far as Hendricks is concerned, um, 
I think there's still a small opportunity that he's a change of pace guy. Um, I don't really envision him being a consistent change of pace guy, um, but I think he might have a role similar to last year where he'll come in for like three snaps like he did against BYU or something like that. Um, but as far as uh, this upcoming year, I, I tend to think he's he's the backup. Uh, he's the career backup. Um, I don't really think he's going to be uh, competing as a starter, which again I think is going to lend fall camp to a lot less drama than perhaps uh, people on our site and people in the media are going to want. But I think uh, yeah, he's going to be a career backup. People wanting drama around the Notre Dame football program, Eric? What, what, I don't even know what you speak of. That's right. <laughs> We're going to see it. I think there's going to be uh, not a whole lot to talk about with the quarterbacks, but still people who are going to want to talk about it. But, Simon, do you see Chuck the kind of coach that's going to go ahead and divide the playbook like that for a change of pace guy, or, or do you think that, that this whole change of pace thing and, and BK uses multiple uh, quarterbacks, is that all a ruse? Or are, we, are we looking at one guy this year, or are we looking at multiple? I think Eric brought up an interesting point when he brought up the BYU thing and and the BYU game kind of being a real, the offense was in a rut um, and kind of Hendricks was thrown in there as this like, hey, you know, go go do something, try to do something for us. Um, and um, and I, I can see Hendricks kind of coming in that role. Um, similarly this year, I'm sh- as we know, uh, Tommy Reese has his limitations um, and maybe teams that play really good defense. I'm looking at a Stanford, for example. Um, they're going to figure a way to limit him and maybe throw in a Hendricks in that kind of situation. Um, but in, you know, to your earlier question, I'm going to throw a little wrench here and hope that Andrew Hendricks gets some op- opening day snaps uh, only because we take a big lead against Temple. There, there you go. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's that kind of thinking that, yeah. that, that drives the Notre Dame fan base forward. Um, so you guys are talking about, you know, potentially a change-up or teams figuring out, but there's another wild card in the mix here. You know, Brian Kelly's announced Tommy Reese, but at the same time, we've got Malik Zaire on campus now, and uh, this was a guy that, you know, in early parts of spring, we heard about, you know, raves about how he was picking up the offense very quickly. Do either of you guys see Malik spending the year in anything other than a bright red shirt wrapped around him. Do you think we actually get to pull the wrapper off this guy in 2013 and uh, see what he can do, or is he still on the shelf this year? Well, I trend. I tend to think he'll be. They'll try to redshirt him at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but this will be one of those instances where, uh, you know, we're kind of projecting what we're going to see in fall camp versus what we'll see during the year. Uh, and as far as the year is concerned, I think. Uh, one of the things we're going to be looking at is after a week or two, is he being mentioned as a possible candidate? I think that'll be kind of a telltale for where he'll be sitting early in the season. I don't really expect him to come out and win the job, obviously, but um, if it's you know, 10, 11 practices in uh, during August and uh, there's some legitimate talk about him playing, I think then you know, the, 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 the shift can focus to him not redshirting this year. But until that happens, I, I, I tend to think he's going he's gonna to be having that red shirt on him. And I think the coaches uh, would hope that Reese can play the entire year and have Zayer sit out. But we'll see. I know not everyone agrees with me on that topic. I, I'm, I'm with Eric here. I think he's a rip red shirt in case of emergency. Um, and other than that, uh, it's a good thing um, if Tommy Reese is playing – all 12, 13 games for us. Um, and if Tommy Reese is starting all 12, 13 games for us. Um, 
is is Tom, are there injury concerns? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's one big hit away from redshirt coming off. Um, so, it, am I going to predict that he will play this year? Yes, just in, you know, just because you know one hit here um, means that if Tommy's sitting out a week or two, we're gonna have to have a second quarterback. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in there, and I think this is going to be one of the more fascinating things this year is what what does happen if Reese truly struggles. Mm. Um, I tend to think that Kelly's going to stick with Reese, uh, you know, through thick and thin. But you know, what if he's just epically bad? Or in another example, what if he does get hurt? I mean, that'll be very interesting. To, interesting to see if if it's going to be Hendricks coming in or if it's going to be Zayer coming in, and also how that plays into uh, Hendricks getting playing time. You know, do you want to get his feet wet in some of these early games just in case, or do you want to have a cold Hendricks come in in the fourth game or so, not having played at all in, you know, almost a full year or so? Yeah, I think you're hitting on some of the really important pieces of program building, right, is, is understanding not only what's happening now but what could happen down the road. And, and this is an interesting place where I don't necessarily agree with some of the optimism, right? I, I, you know, maybe it's just I've been trained the wrong way here. But you know, you start to worry about. And I think history has shown Eric that that Kelly will stay with Reese um, through a lot. Um, so so let's just leave that out there. But as as Simon said, you know, one big hit um, on a on a guy who's not, you know, maybe he's gotten bigger. You know, we keep getting reports that he keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But this is a guy who could, you know, we could definitely see getting knocked out of a game. And as you said. I think Hendricks is your hot swap. I think he's the guy who's seen live fire before. I think he's the first one to come in. But if you're looking at a situation where Reese is down for three, four weeks, you know, he's out for a month kind of thing, um, there's no question that they've got to get Zaire ready to play, um, not only for injury concern behind Andrew, but, you know, again, performance concern behind either of them. So uh, I do think he wears the red shirt, I, but I do think he's on the He's on the plane every week. He, he's definitely on the sideline. He's got to be there. He's got to be ready. He's the emergency quarterback at this point. Yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, if you look at the situation, and uh, I think, um, you know, if you kind of read between the lines uh, with some of the experts that are closer to the program, I don't think the coaches are awfully comfortable with Hendricks playing in a long-term role. So we'll see if that Reese injury uh, does happen. Sayer so definitely has to be ready. Well, let's knock on wood and bubble, rip, bubble wrap that guy for a while because I think one of the other things that we consistently hear about Tommy is that he is a very well-liked and popular teammate in the Notre Dame locker room. How do you see that playing out this year? Do you see Reese, Reese's maturity and, 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 frankly, leadership being um, maybe a strength that's delivered to this team this year? How do you guys see that playing out? Um, I think... All these years of you know purple face BK screaming at him and him taking it in stride like that shows I think his character and um, that's why the coaches trust him um, and I think that's why the players trust him you know he's he's a guy who's unfazed he can um, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna screw up one play but the very and then he's gonna get yelled at but the very next play he's gonna go do it and do it right um, and he's he's one of those guys and. Yes, I absolutely think that he's a guy who last year, a two-year starter being unseated by a freshman, you expect more drama uh, from a two-year starter. And the fact that he 
um, didn't do that. The fact that he spent that year making the starter better um, and coming in and thriving in a backup slash reliever situation, all those things are positives that the team looks at. Um, and I know, uh, I know for a fact, uh, the players love him. Um, all of the players love him. Um, Golson uh, last year didn't see him as a competitor or his backup. He saw him as a friend and a mentor. So those are all things that work in uh, Tommy's favor. Yeah, I was really looking at three categories here, basically um, a leadership factor, a, a comfort level, and also play calling. And I think, um, you know, with the news of Golson not being here for the fall semester, that's a huge blow. But I think with those three categories, uh, Notre Dame can really uh, improve leaps and bounds during fall practice, where, whereas uh, in previous August camps, they really haven't had this opportunity to stick uh, uh, or, or go into the camp knowing who the starting quarterback is, and I think that probably was a big reason why Kelly Nee breached the starter, um, however long ago it was, for six weeks or so. But um, obviously the leadership, as Simon said, um, the players love Reese, um, and I think the comfort level is something that is really going to help the offense. And then um, the play calling as well, I think they'll be able to to really you know strategize a little bit more easier uh, hopefully open up the playbook, but um, we'll see how that goes. I'm kind of afraid that they'll be a little bit more conservative. But um, you know, if you know Reese is your guy, this is your opportunity to uh, you know try some new things in fall camp and uh, see how well the offense can improve. Well, and if there's anything that coaches hate, it's regression, right? To have to re re recreate identity, to have to recreate leadership, to have to recreate, recreate, recreate. And what Reese, I think, gives the staff, and, and I think part of the the psychological element of naming him early is it gives stability to that going into the camp. Chuck Martin and the squad can say, hey, Tommy's our guy, and uh, we don't have to refigure that out. We don't have to go through that. We know Tommy's our guy, and that's where we're going. And if if Hendricks or Zaire should happen to play him out of that seat, what a wonderful situation for us all, right? But we go into camp with a guy uh, instead of trying to figure that out. Yep, that's right. So, you know, after looking at quarterback, you start to think then about some other positions. And, and, and the next one I want to kind of pick both of your brain on is the running back. I mean, this is a position that um, is drawing even national attention from the worldwide leaders. You know, Mark Schlabach himself uh, mm -hmm. had this in his position battles for 2013, which is the running back position uh, at Notre Dame. You know, this is a position that's evolving in our offense, and I think it's based both on the coaching staff and the, the the players we've got on the roster right now. You know, Eric, what do you see as happening around this position in terms of the specialist versus the hybrid, the generalist? Where is Tony Alford kind of taking this group? Um, that's a pretty good question, the one I don't really think I have an answer for. But uh, the first thing I wanted to say about the running backs is I think that we could probably – focus on just this unit throughout mm. the entire August and uh, probably have enough content for this website. Uh, I think that's going to be in stark contrast to the quarterback situation. But uh, as far as the hybrid, um, you know, the slot running back player, I, honest, I honestly don't have any questions, and I'm really interested to see what they plan on doing um, this August. I know um, we're probably not going to see a whole lot of video and stuff like that, and the coaches aren't going to talk a whole lot about it, but, you know, I'm interested to see if Carlisle is going to be more of a full-time running back or is he going to be more of a full-time wide receiver. And 
and where incoming freshman Terry and Folston fits in there. So, um, you know, we just have to wait and see. I'm, I'm very interested to see what, what happens there. Yeah, um, not only that. I mean, so we have Atkinson, who's probably the, the starter for now, but the most physically gifted of, of all of the running backs um, is, a, is a true freshman, Greg Bryant. He's, um, by all accounts, just a man, like a 29-year-old man who's played in the NFL. Like his, he's built like a tank, and he runs a 4-4, um, and he's, he plays the position naturally. Um, and, and, you know, again, the, the name that we saved for last is Cam McDaniel, who I think runs most naturally um, from the running backs that we've seen so far. Uh, he, he, the stance is good and low. Um, he's shifty. He can catch the ball a little bit. Um, he every opportunity he's gotten, he's thrived in so far. Granted, it's been against second and third teams most of the time, but I can see any and all of these guys getting multiple meaningful carries, which is a good and and slightly scary thing. Yeah, that's that's right because you know I go back to the whole comfort thing with Reese. Now you have an opportunity to to settle down with your quarterback for an entire you know four week period before the first game. But then on the other hand, you have. Atkinson, who's very talented but still very raw and has a lot of things to work on, mm-hmm. but you have a lot of pieces to work with here: Carlisle, Folston, McDaniel, Bryant. Um, you know, you could throw in a couple other guys who could play more dynamic roles, um, especially some of the tight ends. So there's a lot of pieces here to work with, and I'm really interested to see what they do with the offense. Yeah, I, th- I think the one of the more curious things I'm going to be looking towards, and, and maybe one of our buddies uh, like Lars will do some great film study for us on is what sort of formations we see coming into this year. Um, it's yep. been rare to see two backs on the field at the same time in the Brian Kelly era. Um, but with some of these hybrid skills, you've really got to wonder uh, how they're going to get some of this talent. I mean, we, we've been talking about five very talented young men that are going to be on the field for us. Uh, and the one that intrigues me the most, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about, is really Amir, Amir Carlisle. Uh, do you see him lining up in the backfield and taking handoffs? Do you see him playing more of that slot, uh, or do you see him, you know, lining up maybe even traditionally as a as a as a as a wide receiver? Where, what is his role going to be? What kind of impact do you see for him um, as, as we head into camp? Well, I'd probably start off saying I think he might have the biggest impact early on as a special teams player. I think he's probably going to insert his name into the punt returning. Um, possibly the kick return uh, game right from the get-go. So we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, I haven't uh, made any bones about it. I think he's he's pretty small for a running back. Um, I don't can't remember exactly what his weight is listed at, but um, I think he's more of 180 pounds dripping wet. So um, I think that's going to be something the coaches are going to struggle with, obviously with his uh, injury history as well. So um, you'd like to get him the ball out of the backfield a lot. But can he take the pounding? Uh, you know, he hasn't played football, at least in a real game situation, in quite a long time. So you might want to ease him in there. Uh, and then on the other side of that coin is maybe he fits in the slot a lot better. Uh, maybe, you know, Atkinson or McDaniel and Bryant are going to hold down that running back position, and you can use Carlisle in the slot um, almost full time. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I will say uh, I'm going to be pretty excited if they – uh, if they're talking about multiple backs and we see multiple backs playing at once in the backfield, that is, uh, sure. not just in the slot, but in the backfield, I'll be pretty excited if we see that against Temple and then um, have that play through um, the entire season. 
Well, Carlisle's listed on the spring roster as 5'10", 185. And that certainly doesn't sound like a guy who's going to be your every down back, does it? I, I think it sounds a lot more like a guy who's going to spend some time in the slot. But, uh, you know, a year ago, uh, we could have recorded this podcast, and I think we all would have been um, waiting with bated breath to see the Devontae Neal show out of the slot. Uh, and we did, never did uh, kind of – and also in special teams, right, Eric? So, uh, you know, I, right. I hope – um, that uh, we actually do get to take the wraps off of someone like Carlisle this year in a way that we maybe didn't see last year with Devontae Neal. All right, and I, I, and I think, you know, Carlisle being, I think he would be a junior this year um, and having knowledge of a couple of, you know, complicated offenses now. He, he played when as soon as he got there to USC, and I don't want to ever – Say good things about Lane Kiffin. Um, actually, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You know I'm looking for my mute button for no, you. No, right no, now. no, no. You, if you're going to start saying nice <laughs> things about Lane Kiffin, no, no. USC's offense is trash, but whatever. Um, no, but but honestly, they, they have a nice pro, um, pro style single back um, set that that he had to understand quickly to get on the field. Also, talking about a guy who spent all year basically learning the offense more, um, you know, whatever role that he'll be coming into. Uh, he was still at every practice. He was still taking notes and at, in every film session that he, he, he could be in. So I'm hoping that year uh, and the fact that he's a more mature kid than, say, Neil last year kind of allows him to get, you know, get get going from, from the first snap. And if I'm making a prediction right now, yeah, I think I see him in the slot um, with, the, with Atkinson in the backfield and, um, you know, on, on our opening snap. I am curious to see how that slot position is used, though, um, just because last year we saw a lot of Daniel Smith kind of getting in there instead of uh, when Robbie Toma uh, wasn't in there for blocking purposes, or are we going to bring in a second tight end in there? Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see uh, how that works out. Yeah, it's more – it's not really – as much about individual players here as it is about the slot position and what the coaches see for that position moving forward. Um, I know um, Samson and Priester on one of the most recent Irish Illustrated podcasts kind of went off on a rant on this subject, you know, just kind of throwing their arms up in the air, like, what's going on with this slot position? You know, uh, are we really going to just stick a, an extra tight end out there or are we going to really, you know, put a dynamic player because when Kelly first got here, everyone thought, hey, the slot position, that's going to be the big, you know, playmaking, well, lots of lots of run after catch type yeah. player. Anyone who, backfield, anyone, so. anyone who watched UC saw that out of Marty Gilliard, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. We were looking for our Marty Gilliard. And I think he tried to uh, fit Riddick into that role and, you know, he did a pretty good job of it, but, you know, especially last year, you know, we just that position kind of died. We just a little bit of Toma, a little bit of the tight ends, and that's pretty much it. So we'll see if they kind of shift focus um, here this year with a couple of playmakers who are more suited to that role. Well, and I think one of the unique things about the two years you listed, though, Eric, is the presence of a pretty dominant pass-catching player in the offense, right? So you had you know, Mr. Michael Floyd himself one year, and then you had Tyler Eifert the next um, you know, maybe that was a little bit of, of, of taking the air out of that slot role. And now that we've got a bit more balanced in, in the skill positions, you do wonder whether or not we see that that more positional uh, prototype for the for the slot receiver start to emerge. Right. 
Joe, if you're if you're pining for our Marty Gilliard, he plays for USC. His name is Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> now, 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 now. I know he's still upset about that. <laughs> I am. I am so. I am still very upset about it. Oh man. Uh, so you guys actually, you know, I, I think we're we're really settling in on the on the slot position because there's a lot of intrigue there. But I think there's also um, position at, at the actual tailback position or actual intrigue at the tailback position. I mean, yeah, no doubt. I, th- I think we've got Atkins. Ev- everyone's got Atkinson kind of in pretty dark pencil, if not pen as, as you know, lining up in the backfield uh, for the first snap uh, of 2013. But do you guys see that being a year-long thing? It, 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 is GA3 the answer? Or, you know, does a guy like Bryant come in with those physical tools and readiness and, 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 and just steal the spotlight? Or does a gamer, you know, and we all like to kind of assign that gamer rep to McDaniel for the snaps that we've seen him. <laughs> uh, does he just kind of, you know, you know work his way in, in, into the coaching staff and, and Irish fans' hearts uh, and unseat Atkinson for that, for the, for that first spot? Well, you know, I don't have him in dark pencil with a starter. Actually, I put him in quotation marks. That's how I like to do it <laughs> so far. Um, but, um, you know, if I had to guess right now, I would say he's not going to hold on to that starting position. But, you know, how important is the actual starting position in this offense? I think that's another way to look at it. Um, you know, in Brian Kelly's offense, I think the more important question is who's getting the most carries. And I think... When it's all said and done, I think he might be getting the most carries just because he's probably going to be that, you know, quote-unquote starter for the first three, four games. But uh, as the season moves on, I think we're going to see um, Bryant. I I think we're going to see his role increase. I'm a huge fan of him. I think he's just so well-rounded. And, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in Cam McDaniel too. I think he's well-polished. He can do a lot of things out there, and I think he's really going to push Atkinson as well. Yeah, um, I, I I think we could see two, three running backs with at least 50, 60 carries. Yeah, um, definitely. And, yeah, and, 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 and I think that's a good thing for us because we know that we have talented players. And if talented players are divvying up equal carries, um, as long as they're not divvying up those carries because they're screwing up uh, or, you know, uh, or – yeah, basically. Laying that, the ball on the ground. Right, yeah. laying the ball on the ground. Like, because, oh my gosh, nightmares. Um, <laughs> but, but as long as these guys are pushing each other, um, and you know what? If if Atkinson holds on to that starting spot for us for the for all 13 games, that's probably a good thing, too. That means that he's, you know, making that leap into the next page. That means he's getting better at pass, uh, pass protection. That means he's getting, uh, he's running a little lower. Um, all these things. So, um, I am. Cautiously optimistic about what we have back there. I actually, I, I absolutely think that Cam McDaniel, as of now, of the running backs that we've seen, uh, so I guess we're comparing CMC to um, GA3 Ed. I think CMC is a more natural runner, and I think he's a more solid back back there. He just doesn't have the home run ability that um, GA3 has. Um, but yeah, so guys, I have yeah. I have to tell you, I find it fascinating that, you know, here we are looking at this roster and we're looking at a a 210-pound, you know, high-level sprinter Mm -hmm. and wondering who's got game experience and touchdowns under his belt and wondering, well, who else can we get in there? Um, I think that that speaks pretty well to the talent pipeline 
that we've really built around this running back position and uh, and the way this staff is is bringing guys along at a pace where um, you know we're not we're we're sitting here looking for excuses to take the the 210 pound sprinter off the field. That that's a very interesting position to be in. Mm-hmm. That's right. Speaking of interesting positions, guys, um, I heard that our best tight end was relegated to Cincinnati uh, for the year. Uh, so we are now on to sorry, as a as a former Cincinnati resident, I have to take a shot at the Bengals once every twenty four hours. It's required. Gotta get that shot in. Thank you. I got her in. Thanks. Uh, so we've we've got uh, essentially, you know, three guys on the roster uh, right now that are are you know really slotted into that position. We've got Mighty Hercules himself, and then we've got Alex Welch and Ben Koyak. You know, give me your thoughts on these three guys. You know, what order do you see them coming in? Do you see a continuation of the t- of the two tight end set guys, or do you see us going to more of a traditional look at the tight end position? Well, first off, I'd like to congratulate Eifert on actually signing a contract. I don't think I saw the financial figures, but it's nice that he finally got paid. Um, so good for him. Uh, as far as the tight ends that are still on the roster, you know, I don't really have a whole lot to say here. Um, I am interested to see uh, how the battle between Welch and Koyak plays out. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen Welch play in a long time. Um, I, I think he's played in two spring games, if I'm not mistaken, and he's looked pretty good in both of those games. Uh, he's, he's a big kid, he's a good blocker, and he can also you know, go out and catch the ball um, fairly well. Um, and as, as far as Koyak is concerned, um, you know, he was one of the top tight ends in his class, and we really haven't seen a whole lot. You know, he struggled in blocking and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, when I think about him, I go back to the, the spring, and just one of the practice videos, uh, they showed throwing a bubble screen to him. And I just can't get that out of my head. Like, what are they doing? Is that something new? Um, you know, I don't know if I'm for or against that, but I just think that's uh, an interesting development, maybe getting him more involved. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have anything else beyond that. Um, I do think we'll we'll still see our fair share of um, two tight end sets, but uh, as I've kind of made known on the site over the past few months, I would kind of would like to move away from that more to, into, like, a spread offense, but... Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, uh, everyone knows that Hercules is Hercules and you know, how big that kid is. But I, w- I was on campus uh, a few times this past semester and uh, and early in the summer, and I saw Welch, and he's a big man. He's he's offensive line big. Uh, he's he's why he's strong. He's almost you know how offensive line guys who kind of look fat sometimes. Uh, yeah, a little puffy. Right, and he, he's that kind of big. Um, so and. And Koyak, I think we've established uh, through whatever practice, you know, plays or you know, little uh, highlights during a game, he can ca- he has good hands. Uh, I can see a situation in which if it's fourth and one and we're running it down, maybe Welch gets in there. If it's fourth and two and we need like a tight end to catch the ball, maybe Koyak gets in there and, and, instead of Welch. So I, I guess that means that Nicholas is. We've seen enough of Nick uh, Troy to believe that he's the number one tight end. And I, and I'm okay with as long as the coaching staff feel comfortable with Koyak's ability to block when called to, um, I, any of those three guys being on the field at any time, which again like makes me sound like an uber optimist, but you know I think these guys are all these were all four or five star players. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and who yeah, whose talent whose talent has grown. 
we certainly have championship level size at the position. Uh, and now it's a matter of seeing whether or not that talent comes out of that. I think it's very interesting to link this conversation back to our previous one, which is, are you willing to take one of these potential slot or second backs off the field uh, to put a second tight end in? And uh, I think that's going to continue to be very interesting to observe what, what, what Coach Martin and Coach Kelly do uh, with that personnel mix and and how much variation they put in this year, I don't think we saw nearly as much variety as we we thought we were going to last year. And it's it's a question as to whether or not uh, 2013 actually brings that variety to the field uh, in game situations or not. Yeah, you remember when I said I didn't have anything to say about tonight? And some I was just kidding. I have one more thing to say. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of balancing the lack of production that these players have versus, like Simon said, these are very talented um, kids coming that came out of high school. So I'm just kind of trying to balance that. Um, I think they only have 11 career receptions among the, the trio. And, um, you know, as great uh, of the tight ends we've seen at Notre Dame, it's been a while since we've seen such a low total for returning tight ends. So I, I, I'm optimistic about the position. I think there's a decent chance that the trio combined kind of equals what Eifert did last year, but at the same time, I, I'm prepared for a decent dip in production, and, uh, and that kind of makes me want to get uh, you know, a Carlisle or a Folston or whoever on the field more so than uh, a Nicholas or a Welch. Well, I think that's very interesting, Eric, because I think you can have a dip that's caused by lack of talent, but you can also have a dip that's a combination of, hey, you did drop off a little bit in talent, but the dip is disproportionate because you found other positions of strength mm -hmm. going into the year, and you're using those positions of strength at a higher rate yeah, uh, exactly. potentially than you were using in the past. So yeah. I, I don't think that predicting a dip there is necessarily a doomsday statement. You know, As Simon has said a couple times, if that's our problem, that's a great problem to have. Let's have that problem. That would be... You know, if, if, that's the, if that's the case, I think we'll all be very, very happy uh, come yeah. November, December. Right. Yeah, it doesn't. If tight end's not a strength, that doesn't necessarily mean that tight end's a weakness. So and there you go. Well yeah. said. And, and it's also going to come in like something that you know has to be a factor is who's Tommy Reese more comfortable with? Is he more comfortable with throwing a little curl route to a Ben Koyak, uh, or is he more comfortable with um, hitting? Um, Amir Carlisle on a screen, like you know, what 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 throws is he more comfortable making? What receivers is he connecting with more? Which one of those guys' hands are you know sticking to Tommy's balls more? You know, etc. As long as he's thrown to a guy in a Notre Dame uniform, I'm happy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I couldn't help myself. But no, speaking <laughs> of catching the ball, that 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 really leads me to the next you know kind of position group I want to pick your guys' brain on, which is wide receiver. So, um, you know, Oklahoma was a coming out party uh, for the kind of speed that Chris Brown has. Um, is he and a one trick party? Yeah. Yeah. And then and, that's, and, and you went right where had. I you <laughs> went right where I was going, Simon, yeah. which is, is this guy ready or is he a, you know, Golden Tate, you know, kind of go guy? And are we ready to see that same sort of breakout in his second season? Or was that kind of a one trick pony? Is he the guy uh, in that third outside slot? Is Chris Brown ready to go? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have the answer to that question, um, but I think he's going to have a large uh, target on his back um, this August um, because they really knew, do need to develop a, a third outside wide receiver, you know. Mm -hmm. Very excited about T.J. Jones and his senior season, and 
I might be even more excited with Tavares Daniels in his second year in the field. Um, that's a great one-two combo. I think um, those two sometimes get um, sold a little bit short. I think they're going to have a really big year. But, um, uh, you know, Kelly really hasn't played a whole lot uh, of receivers. We haven't seen a huge rotation. But you definitely want to see Brown, you know, being more of a consistent uh, threat on the outside. And on the one hand, you look at Reese's arm strength and you kind of you have to wonder, you know, is that going to take away part of Brown's game, you know, the deep ball and whatnot. But maybe they have to focus on getting him um, some, you know, some short passes across the middle and stuff like that and then using his speed. You know, um, you have to see what he can do during camp. Um, we'll see how versatile and how, how improved he is. Yeah, I'm right with Eric there. That the point I wanted to make was, yeah, um, let's say he gets open for 50 yards. Um, is Tommy Reese going to be able to make that throw? Um, or, you know, maybe he's in a situation where you throw in, like an earlier package situation that we talked about with Hendrickson or something like that. Um, I I keep going back to, with Chris Brown, that is, I keep going back to the uh, highlights that Brian Kelly was showing in uh, his first, like, gushing approval of him um, during signing day, and he said this is one of the most underrated players in the country. He can play all three positions, all three wideout positions. You can see him coming out of the slot. He can definitely be an outside go guy. So Kelly evaluated him as a guy who could play X, Y, and Z. So um, is he going to be a guy who gets a shot at those outside, uh, at those two outside receiving positions on a more regular basis? Can he get some of those, like, toughs screen passes that TJ Jones was finishing towards the end of the season last season, uh, which, which to me were, that was great. Those 16 yard tough catches. Um, and can he, can he get those? Uh, those will be, I think elements um, to look at with, with Brown. Yeah. It sounds I think, like, go ahead, Joe. Well, no, you please, Eric. Thank you. Um, I was just going to say, you know, there's an opportunity that he'll be, or a chance, excuse me, that he's a bit of a transformed player because if you remember during his senior season, he was, he was very thin. Um, and I think he actually had a, an injury of some sort his senior season. It wasn't major, but I think that was a bit of a setback. But he ended up adding some weight before his freshman year, and I think the last up- update I saw on him, he's, he's put on a little bit more weight. So I think um, he might be the type of player who could move into the slot or at least take some of those shorter passes and, you know, jet his way through some coverage for big gains. Um, so we'll see if he's transformed his body a little bit because he, he was pretty thin even last year during his right. freshman year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Camp Longo does to, to Chris because he's on the spring roster right now, guys, as, at 6'2", 172. That's yeah, um, that's which real means, skinny. Yeah, which means some beanpoles are looking at him going, oh, man, you're a thin dude. I think he was legit 160 <laughs> before he came to Notre Dame. <laughs> oh, at 62. So so I think it it is an interesting thing, but but you also hit on another topic, Eric, that I think is really interesting and I'd be curious to get in both of your thoughts, which is uh you know, we're looking at uh TJ, you know, the maturity of TJ Jones and a guy who's really established himself both as a leader um on the field and off the field for the Irish and uh and the excitement of seeing Daniels um, hopefully healthy back from, uh, you know, whatever injuries plagued him towards the end of the regular season. What do you guys see for these two? You know, what do you see in the, the split and catches and the split and rolls between those two guys in this offense? And, and how does the change, you know, from Golson back to Reese uh, affect both of those two players? 
Well, I think a while back I tried to project some stats. Um, I can't remember in what context um, the article was, but I think they're going to be in line for a pretty big boost, um, especially these two. Uh, if we were operating under the premise that the tight ends aren't going to see quite as many opportunities, I think we're going to see a lot of those extra passes thrown towards Daniels and Jones. So if I were to throw a figure out there, I'd probably say, you know, I think these guys could easily go 50-50 in receptions, if not, you know, 60-60 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we looked at Floyd had, what, 90-something catches one year, and he went over 100 the other year. I think th- these guys combined could probably be in the, the high 80s and creeping towards 100 very easily. We're returning the number one and two receivers from a 12-1 and one team. Um, you know, that's, 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 that's good. Yeah, that, that's that's good. Um, and, you know, people have started out really excited with T.J. Jones. Um, he had a great freshman year. Um, I think his first, like, catch was like a 40-yard touchdown or something like that. Um, so, and then his sophomore year was a bit of a disappointment. But I think we've like, people have seen um, cl- some clip that I think it was an FIDM clip or I'm not sure, it was something on Twitter, where he talked about how his sophomore year was mentally tough for him. Um, you know, his father had just passed away. He didn't really know. Uh, he was struggling on the field, off the field. Um, and I think late last season, I really saw some things that I really liked uh, from T.J. Jones. Um, early last season, it was improvising and moving his position to catch that Tommy Reese throw, I think, in the Purdue game. Um, and then um, you know, later in the season, it was finishing those tough, tough catches, um, those, screen pa- those screen passes in traffic. Um, yeah. And, and we're talking about a guy who also has really, really nice reach um, for his size. And yep. his catch radius is really big for a 5'10", 5'11 guy who's really skinny, too. Um, and he's tough. He takes hits, but he hasn't had a major injury yet. Um, you know, and, and knock on wood for that. And I really like T.J. Jones. He's going to end his Notre Dame career as one of the most productive wide receivers Notre Dame has ever had. I think the other thing you got to throw on the pile there, Simon, is that the guy is – at his best in the big moments, right? Uh, as evidenced by you know the catch against Stanford, I, I think his ability to rise to the moment. I think the mental toughness. Uh, I think some of what you're referring to is, is I believe he was interviewed for a few of the different NBC specials um, mm. where he talked about the challenge of his father passing and the and the nature of the team as his family and things like that. So I, I think that this guy. I, I tend to agree with you guys. I, I think that he he will leave Notre Dame a very special and productive player and, and hopefully with a great se- signature senior season on top of that. Um, really, really special guy, and I think one that uh, a lot of us can be proud is associated with the program. Absolutely. Yeah, and Simon took the words right out of my mouth. He, I know a lot of people co- are complaining that you know Notre Dame doesn't have a Michael Floyd on the roster, but when you look at Jones's game, I mean, he does almost everything at a very high level. He doesn't quite have the deep ball down that's kind of a function of the offense and I think he can do a little bit better in you know those intermediate um, catches and turning those into big gains and turning those into touchdowns but again a lot of sideline routes so that's not quite his fault but you look at all the other stuff in his game he's re- turned into a great blocker I think especially for mm-hmm. his size oh, yeah. um, he had numerous of the bubble screens where he's weaving through traffic you know taking contact gaining an extra six or seven yards, and his sideline play last year was just phenomenal. So I think 
you look at it, yeah, we might not have a first-round draft pick um, as it stands right now, but, you know, Jones is a, you know, third, fourth-round type talent, mm -hmm. and Daniels has first-round talent and might be uh, in line for a big year for a young player. So I'm pretty excited to see both of these players. So Simon brought up one of my absolute favorite talent evaluation metrics, which is uh, the uh, infamous catch radius. And anytime <laughs> you talk catch radius in Notre Dame football, uh, you gotta start asking questions about Mr. Corey Robinson uh, and oh, some yeah. of the some of the video that our friends at, at Fighting Irish Digital Media were able to put out with 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 Corey. Um, you know, there, there's some unbelievable youth uh, coming up through the program right now. Mm -hmm. If I look at guys like Anawalu and Robinson, do either of you guys, you know, do you see them seeing the field this year, guys? And if so, in, in what sort of role? I can see um, either of those guys being um, developed into maybe a legitimate backup towards the end of the season in the wide receiver position. I definitely see Anawalu on special teams. Um, I think I think Eric would agree with me on that. Um, and, and these guys have are... Really, really smart guys who have getting who have been getting all sorts of praise from the coaching staff with regards to their physical and mental preparation, um, and they came in early and have been getting real meaningful uh, practice uh, snaps. And yeah, Corey Robinson, oh boy, I mean, I, I'm I, one of those guys when when he initially committed, and I was like, oh, oh, okay. And the first thing I thought was like, are we going to have a six nine wide receiver in our hands here, um, just because of Dave Robinson's late growth spurt? Um, which I guess theoretically could still happen, but yeah, that that catch that I think we're all talking about here, uh, that kind of stuff, if that's happening on the field, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, um, if you would ask me back in the spring, even in the middle of the spring, I would have said I don't think there's any way that either of these players are going to see the field, but dang it, those FDIM films just <laughs> pull you right in. And... Uh, you know, just seeing some things around uh, the program and listening to some people that I trust uh, with their opinions, I think there's definitely a real chance that both are going to see the field. Um, you know, I was kind of skeptical of Robinson, um, not so much as a recruit, but more as, uh, um, you know, I didn't really see him playing as his freshman or sophomore years, but it looks like he definitely is uh, every bit the talent um, that the coaching staff uh, saw out of him. And then you have Onwalu, who is definitely, I think, going to be um, on special teams. And, uh, again, I'm hearing a lot of great things about him uh, with his size, maturity, and uh, I don't think we'll see him right away, but he could be uh, the type of player who's going to uh, possibly move into uh, a backup at the outside, like Simon said. So for all my fellow Corey Robinson fans out there, you know, I was I was in high school playing high school basketball when, when the Admiral uh, was coming out of the Navy. And uh, <laughs> just a couple of interesting stats here, guys. He was six, you know, David Robinson, his father, was 6'6", 175 coming out of high school uh, and ended up at 7'1", 235 as his listed weight in the NBA. So... Um, Lots and lots of upside uh, for a guy with that sort of athleticism and those sorts of genes. And I also right. think just the kind of character and motor um, that his father uh, showed throughout a, a very long and productive Hall of Fame NBA career. Um, I think I think there's some really, really wonderful things in the horizon for that kid, and I can't wait to see him. 
Right, and that means that Troy Nicholas is going to have to look out for that Hercules spot in a couple of years. Oh, right? man. You got it. You got it. <laughs> I think you Robinson's going to have to gain some weight. but Right. Uh, no. <laughs> well, you know, maybe two or three David Robinson stacked <laughs> next to each other sideways. Uh, or Corey Robinson. Sorry, Corey. We're going to yeah. have to do that to you a few times, Corey, yeah. if you're a listener out there. Uh, if we call you David, it's only out of love and respect. <laughs> All of the respect. Yes. So they so, uh, they usually update the roster uh, in August, don't they? So we yeah. see if he grew at all. Yeah. So everyone, everyone, right now, run out to und.com and grab a screenshot, and then you that can screenshot. we can do the big uh, we can do the big comparison. Uh, right. Once uh, once the two deeps listed on the on the website. Right now he's listed at six four and a half at one ninety seven. Uh, do, do we want do we want to set the line at six six if we were betting men? Um, what's it been? Yeah, I think, I, I think that that's not a lot of time. So I'm gonna let's 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 take let's put the over under at six five and a half. Uh, that way, well, if you I... get six six, you can bet the over. Okay. <laughs> I don't like you know me, Simon. I don't like pushes. Okay. <laughs> One foot down does not condone betting or <laughs> illegal betting. No. Um, so okay, so. We're gonna wait out of my depth for a little while here, guys, because I think like a lot of casual fans, um, we we can repeat every skill position name, and 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 uh, the guys who are actually handling the football tend to get a lot of the focus. But uh, I think any knowledgeable fan will, uh, you know, tell you that the the trenches are where battles are won and lost. And uh, so, so Eric, can g- give me your thoughts on the offensive line uh, headed into camp. Uh, what do you see as some of the key battles? Who do you see as some of the key names and key stories with uh, with with the Hogs uh, as we we start to come into camp here? Well, you know, I don't think it's going to be um, a terribly. I'm trying to search for the right words. I don't think it's going to be a very dramatic um, August for this position group, even though they are replacing two starters. Um, you have to think that uh, Nick Martin's going to hold down the center position. Yeah. Um, I think we'll know pretty early on, probably within a week or two of August camp, uh, whether he's going to be holding on to that starting position, and I expect him to. Um, you know, I don't really think there's a whole lot of other, uh, you know, stuff to look at besides that right guard position um, and whether or not Connor Hanrad is going to hold on to that. Um, I think it was a pretty big deal for him to hold on to it during the entire spring. Mm-hmm. Um I was a little bit surprised by that. I thought they would maybe rotate someone else in there or shuffle guys around a little bit. But, um, you know, I guess the only thing I can say is let we have to see what Stanley's health is like and um, whether or not he moves Lombard inside to guard and Stanley is your starting right tackle. Um, other than that, I think that's pretty much the only thing I'm going to be looking for um, as far as the line's concerned. I know... Uh, we're expecting the line to be a little bit deeper this year, mm-hmm. so uh, you know we can look at some of the the two deep stuff. But uh, as far as the starters are concerned, I'm just uh, looking at Hanrady and how Stanley fits into that whole shuffling around. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Ian this. Uh, Ian this. Um, I think last year the staff had four and a half, maybe five guys that they trusted. I think this year the staff will have seven, maybe possibly eight. Uh, guys that they're trusting to play uh, meaningful and um, competitive downs um, in the trenches. And, and that's fantastic, only because the top three guys are still the top three, same top three guys from last year's team. Um, and then the two the two guys that are come up are potentially improvements. Um, 
And we're also I'm I'm personally excited about a guy like Elmer and Stanley uh, maybe getting uh, meaningful snaps there to help uh, Zach uh, Zach Martin and Christian Lombard um, out in the tackles. Yeah, and I would if I would just comment on that, uh, you know, how many players they might use. Uh, you know, you have Watt, uh, Zach Martin, Lombard. That's your top three. Um, Handrady and Martin. And then Stanley, that's six right there. You have mm -hmm. to think Elmer's going to be in the mix as a true freshman. Mm -hmm. That's seven. Um, you know, if you want a, an eighth person, um, Hunter Bivens there. I don't know if he's going to stay at center or not. I kind of like him at guard. Um, Matt Haggerty. Yep, there's another one. Yeah. I forgot him. I yeah. wasn't looking at the center. And then you have Harrell as well. So there's a lot oh. of bodies there. Yeah. So that's where we have a lot of bodies, guys. But what if I flip lines of scrimmage? Yes. How do we feel about the defensive line? So let's let's flip the line of scrimmage. How deep is that rotation this year? How many guys do you feel are on this roster that can play winning football uh, on the defensive line? Oh boy, winning football. <laughs> I mean, we we have we have two of the best defensive line in the country. Let, let's 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 put that let's put that there first. Uh, Lewis Nix. Stephon to it, and I am praying to God uh, uh, number seven decides to come back for his senior year. But uh, Nick's and to it are both first rounders, top ten picks in in next year's draft. Uh, yeah, I think Sheldon Day is probably the other starter. I think Tony Springman can play winning football for us. Um, we really need a guy like Jerron Jones to step up. We need Kona Schwenke not to, uh, I guess, uh, I guess. What's the what's the regress in any way, shape, or form? Um, then maybe it looks like we potentially have four, maybe five guys, but that's thin. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, if you look at who right now, who I trust out there, it would be Nick's to it, Day, Springman. That's four, and then I would add Schwinky in there as a kind of an add-on fifth. Yeah. Um, if if you want to. I think the key is probably to get two more. I know they, the coaches have said they like eight. I don't really think that's going to be realistic this year. Um, but if they can get six and maybe seven, uh, if you can get Jaron Jones involved and maybe Utopo uh, continues uh, his, his strong spring, I think that's going to be great. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's going to be quite as deep as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, but, I mean, unfortunately. Maybe Maybe you look at seven as an Ishak Williams instead. You know, maybe yeah. maybe Ishak steps in into a more defensive line uh, spot. Yeah. You know, the other, the other name I'd throw into that mix is Romeo Ocaro. Oh, absolutely. Ocaro. Yeah. I mean, at, at six four. Yeah. Aquara. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. The, I know the, who who just turned eighteen, by the way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> who you know, we may have to put an over under out there on his, on the impact on of his size. Of long on him as well. He was listed yeah. in spring as six four two thirty nine. Um, he's certainly a guy who, who may, um, you, you hate to say be forced to, but be asked to by the coaching staff to put his hand in the ground and set the point uh, a bit more uh, in that defensive line position. Uh, I think that line at 260. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That's a, a nice 21-pound gain. So I agree. I, I think he's a guy uh, who's down there. It is very interesting for all the positions at which we've talked about, you know, kind of the, the depth and the and the breadth of talent, the D-line does seem to be a little top-heavy. <laughs> um, and and uh, that is both a good and a bad thing, as has been the theme uh, of, of our time here. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But 
I think uh, there's pretty good news behind that set of guys, right? I mean, where we're at with the back, backers and, 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 you know, Simon, you brought up a name that's been a bit of an enigma, right? Uh, you know, we spent, you know, this time last year wondering whether or not, you know, a guy like Theo Riddick, who every year was the guy who was right on the edge of, of being someone special, uh, was going to make it. And I think largely he, he accounted well for himself throughout the year. Um, uh, is Ishak this year's theoretic on the other side of the ball? Is he is he the guy to watch? Is Ishak this year's theoretic? Yes. Is Ishak going to have a theoretic esque year? If again, I would if I were a betting man, which I'm not, uh, but I would I wouldn't say I, I would say no. Um, and that's mostly because of Prince Shembo being ahead of him and Prince Shembo being such a productive player for us. Um, I also don't think he. It's a position that he'll get in with a lot of sack opportunities. Maybe if it's shifted into a more hand in the ground in like a you know pass rush situation, uh, it will be different. It's also tough to quantitatively like say measure impact for a defensive lineman if it's not a sack. You know, if he's if he's containing an offense um, and he's maybe shrinking a pocket here and there, that's as good as having a 15 yard run. But you can't you can't really know that and you're not going to be able to tell. Um, Good point. Yeah, so it, it's it'll be interesting. I I don't know if we'll see Reddick esque growth. I don't know if we'll see Jonas Gray esque sudden impact. Um, I guess that's kind of different. Gray was more of a oh out of nowhere. Reddick was like, can he get there? Um, yep. And uh, Ishak, will he get there? Um, I don't know. I, I I'm of the opinion that he probably won't, mostly because of uh, depth chart issues. Yeah, and I'll say, as far as Williams is concerned, um, I think part of his growth is going to be him settling into a position. And like Simon said, as far as this upcoming season is concerned, he's blocked by Shembo at that cat linebacker spot. But if you look at where he's played throughout his career, and especially last year, I mean, he's played all over the place. He's been on the, he's been on the edge, standing up. He's been on at the true cat linebacker with his hand on the ground. He's been uh, inside as more of a tackle. Uh, he drops back. You know, he's done a lot of varied things, and I think that kind of hampers his, you know, his stats and stuff like that. So I'm just interested to see if he's going to settle into more of a permanent role at one of these positions or whether he's going to still be that kind of X-factor guy who they're going to move all over the place Um I, w- I would hope that he would settle down in more in a, into something more um, concrete, especially with someone like um, Jalen Smith coming in. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out. That is a, quite a segue there, my friend, because when you talk you about like all over, uh, when you talk about all over the place, that is yeah. a ta- what a talent like Jalen Sp- Smith can bring. So where do you fellas see? You know, first of all, do you, when do you see Jalen? You know, let, uh, not that Simon likes to bet, but let's put an over/under there in terms of <laughs> do we see him in week, you know, three or before, or only after week three? Do we see Jalen Smith early, guys? And if we do, where do we see him? Well, uh, I think he's going to have a freshman season that's going to be not quite as good, but similar to Manti Teo in respect of, hmm. if you remember that first game against Nevada, we found out instantly how much better Teo was than our other linebackers in terms of speed, play recognition. And I think although uh, Jalen's not going to play as much as Teo did that first year, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly that 
he's just a different breed of an athlete. Right. And, uh, you know, he has that wow factor that he's going to bring to the defense. Um, I will say, as far as what I'm looking at in August camp, uh, my main focus is going to be running back and then where the heck is Jalen playing. So yeah. I'm very interested to see where they're going to put him. And I, I think we all know that the ideal position for Jalen is the dog, uh, you know, behind, behind, um, um, oh my God. Spawned. Yeah, Danny Spawned. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Danny. Um, number 13, you're, you're one of my favorites. It's, 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 <laughs> You've it's, just it's, spawned a whole bunch of uh, dog oh, gifts oh, being attached to the comments to this oh. particular post. That's fantastic. Um, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello, this is Doug. Um, I'm. I said this, I think, in the spring game a couple of years ago. I I said that um, Jalen Smith can literally play every position on the field, other than maybe nose tackle. Other than nose tackle, he can play all ten other positions, and um, you know that's just a testament to his talent, his abilities. If you're gonna, you know, if again, I'm not a betting man, but. Um, you know, I definitely see him at first, first special teams play we have. He, that kind of speed plus the size and the tackling ability, you got to have him up there. Um, as uh, and if, especially if he's not in the two deep right away. Yeah, and I think, it's, you know, in the Temple game, I wouldn't be surprised if on their first third and eight or whatever that he's out there on the edge. Yeah, and creeping towards the line from that dog position and showing off what he's got. May I say, like, against Navy, that little hybrid safety linebacker spot um, that Jamor Slaughter used to play so well, um, you know, and we play Navy every year, right? Wait, just wait yep, for I think we still do. Yeah, and, and, J and Jalen Smith is going to dominate that position for the years to come. So that's interesting. Again, man, you guys have, must be reading up on segues because that there's another guy on this roster that could – claim that spot pretty quickly in my mind, Simon, and that's Max Redfield. Mm -hmm. uh, another guy who's bringing a all caps elite uh, level <laughs> of, of, of athleticism to the field. Um, so let's, let's use that transition to switch that defensive backfield. Um, where does a guy like Redfield fit in? Does he fit in right away? Is he going to be challenging right away in camp, or is he a guy who we're going to have to wait on? Just again, maybe going back to the running backs because there's so much quality, experience, and depth in front of him. Um, I I don't want to spoil the top twenty-five list um, that you know will be that that'll be a post coming up later in the later in the weekend. Um, that Keith Arnold over at um, Inside the Irish has been working on with other Irish bloggers, but I I have Max Redfield as our third safety um, in terms of just rotation and him getting in there in real life situations. Um, another name that for that spot that you just talked about, Joe, is Elijah Shoemate, another one of those you know all caps elite uh, athleticism body um, type of guys. Um, it's First of all, it's absolutely fantastic having these kind of names and and players um, on this roster. Personally, I never saw these guys uh, or anyone like them play for the Irish during my four years. And my four years, I like to think, weren't that long ago. So um, it's it's a big giant step that we took uh, really fast. I think Redfield is going to get rotational snaps. I don't know if he unseats a Farley, if he unseats a Barati, if he unseats a Shoemate full time this year, but you know, 
he's definitely the future. So speaking of unseating guys, Eric, you know, does this staff, you know, you know, dare take one of these top guys like a Farley or a Russell off the field after a 12-1 season and, and freshman All-America honors? And, and, I mean, what 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 do you see happening here? I mean, is this a you-can't-lose-your-spot your kind of deal, or, or is everything up for grabs? Uh, look, I'll say this. I think the coaches tend to be uh, very conservative with this stuff. Um, you know, recently there's been lots of talk about what's going to happen at safety and corner. Um, you know, if if I was a betting man, and I'm not, uh, I would say there's no way in hell they're going to take Farley out of the lineup, at least not early on in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings too much leadership, uh, you know, set and plays, stuff like that. Um, I think he's definitely going to be holding on to that free safety spot. However, if you look at natural fit, you have to think Redfield fits that position. Um, he brings more athleticism. He's got more speed, more length. He's got more everything. So I think that'll be interesting to watch uh, that that battle if it were to come to one. Um, as far as uh, what's going to happen at the other spot, um, I really like Shoemate a lot. Um, I was pretty excited that he spent the entire spring with the first team there. Um, I know there's been some talk lately of Barati possibly starting there as well. Um, but like we've been saying, that's this is a really good thing to have three or four players fight for spots. You know, you have right. Farley, Shoemate, Barati. I don't think we can completely throw Collinsworth's names out of no. the window. Um, and then added Redfield's uh, name as well. Um, just personally what I think we're going to see with Redfield, um, I don't think he's going to be quite the in-your-face um, just amazing athlete that Jalen Smith's going to be. Um, but I think he is creeping into that territory, or he is in that territory, but he's just not quite that uh, going to be that quite sudden of an impact freshman. Um, I think he would be perfect for that nickel spot, um, mm. like Shoemate was last year. But, uh, again, there's lots of depth. If you look at the corners, you have both charters coming back and Low Wood coming back. There's another player that has been getting a lot of uh, talk lately who could possibly unseat uh, – someone like Russell at corner. So there's three corners that they could use. So um, it wasn't that long ago that the secondary was thin as paper. And yeah. Low Wood was the only, you know, starting corner coming in um, last fall. And now all of a sudden we have what seems like a plethora of options to choose from. Yeah. It's ama- amazing the difference a year makes. I think a year ago we were just beside ourselves when Low Wood went down. And uh, here we are wondering whether or not he can even crack the field next year. Right. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about eight nine guys that the coaching staff have trusted to win football games for four slots. So yeah, absolutely, and that's I got to put my Bobby Elliott pitch in here, which I just think that this guy is a special coach and a really a real a value find uh, for the <laughs> Irish. Uh, every time you hear about this guy, you hear head coach material, real leadership, obviously a ton of a very challenging life experience for the guy, but wow. Oh, what an asset to have on that staff. Yeah, big, exactly. big, big, big fan. Pay the man, Jack. Pay the man. Pay the man. Pay the man. He's worth it, Jack. Jack knows when to hold him and when to fold him. Though. <laughs> Although, again, no one here uh, at OFD uh, condones uh, illegal gambling. So, hey, guys, let me wrap this up because I know we're, we've been going on a while now, but 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 it, we would be remiss without um, at least ha- throwing a few jokes uh, special teams way. Um, 
Let me start with the less comical of the two units, which is, who do you guys, I mean, do we have anybody who's going to punt the ball this year? I mean, we have anybody who can actually send it down the field, or, or are we just going to go for it on fourth down? Um, didn't we get that Alex Wolfek kid? Um, Wolfcheck? Wolfek? He's the Wake Forest guy who's supposed to be a, um, I guess, a walk-on, but he'll probably get a scholarship considering we still have one or two available. Um, he's the transfer from Wake Forest who who punted against Notre Dame like six times last season. Well, they, and, and, yep. and, and is a great ACC spy, right? I mean, exactly. Give us the lowdown on all the good tailgating <laughs> spots here as, as we come down. That's yeah, if, if you look at uh, you know Brins's responsibilities, I have a hard time thinking that uh, – Wolfek won't be the starting punter. Uh, he's got too much experience, uh, and that kind of eases eases the burden on Brinza this year. He can focus on place kicking and kickoff. So, right. um, I don't think there'll be too much drama with that. Um, we might see that the, you know the competition go pretty deep into the fall ball, but um, I think it'll be Wolfek. Yeah, and Wolfek is no, he, he's not some all-star. He comes in, last season he averaged, I think, a shade under 40 yards a kick. Let me look it up here. Yeah, 39.6 yards per kick, 72 attempts. So, you know, it'd be nice if it was three or four more yards than that. But, yeah, you know, I, at least I, it's Camp Longo. Least it's Camp Longo. <laughs> Camp Longo. Yes. I, I seem to remember him um, punting pretty well when we were down there two years ago. So It's true. Um, we'll see. That's that wonderful air down here in North Carolina. The ball just carries all day long, <laughs> just like just like off my driver. So hey guys, let let but let's flip it because this is where it gets interesting, right? So who do yeah. you see back there calling the first fair catch? I mean, returning the first punt <laughs> for for the for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So I'm trying to make a list here, and I can't really remember exactly who they were uh, doing had the, had this going on in the spring. Um, so. I don't think Atkinson is going to be in the competition, but uh, if I had to break it down, he would probably look at Carlisle, uh, McDaniel, Folston, and I think T.J. Jones might be someone to watch. I know he was getting some reps in spring, um, uh, so I would probably think it's going to be one of those four guys. What do you think? I think Collinsworth is another guy you want to, uh, you can potentially throw back there. He has some kick return experience. Yep, that's right. Um, I forgot about that. Oh, I'm so sad. Neither of you have said Cam McDaniel yet. Oh no, Eric did. Eric I said did. Him. Okay, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he was one of the four. Yeah. I should pay better attention. Eric, to this. Eric you're, uh, that that's where I'm going to put my vote. Although I, I I do worry that it is a, yet another year of watching a really good athlete throw his hand in the air and catch the ball. <laughs> that was um, so sad. So sad. So sad. But but. But hey, this is this is a time for optimism, boys. The camp is about to open. Uh, we're about to get back to football. Uh, we are are slowly uh, getting through that grind and back to where uh, where we want to be with this football season. So, exactly. each of you, you know, I'm going to ask you both, Simon, you first. You know, give me give me that one thing you're most excited to see as this camp opens and that you're going to be following the most closely. I mean, I think we touched on it a few times. Uh, that one thing will be. You know, how are we using that slot spot? Are we are we using um, Amir Carlisle, you know, his outstanding athleticism? Are we using it kind of you know, like we did last year with Dan Smith or with a second tight end? Um, to me, that's how we that's how I want to look at it because that means that Tommy Reese is going to have a more open offensive playbook, um, and that'll impact a lot because we're looking at you know ten to twelve yard plays that we didn't have last year. 
dynamic, I think, is the word that, that comes to mind when you think about an offense that runs like that. Right. So to- totally agree, Simon. That's fantastic. Eric, same question to you, man. What What are you looking forward to seeing? What are you looking forward to writing about as, as camp opens this year? Well, my off my answer isn't uh, that different. Uh, I'm really interested to see what's going on with the running backs and um, how that hybrid slot position um, plays out. And probably the other thing, uh, if I could pick another thing, is just how different the offense is or if it's going to be different. Um you know, with Reese under center, um, and I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, I'm I'm a little concerned about the two tight end sets and trying to run from under center and then, um, you know, kind of the same game plan we saw a couple of years ago with Reese and, you know, running the same three running plays out of shotgun. I, I, I want to see how diverse the offense becomes or if it becomes diverse. So I'll keep an eye out on that for uh, August camp. See, I'm going to flip it on you guys where I'm going to say a lot of what you're talking about will, I think, be determined a bit by just how this defense evolves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Obviously, their leader is, is out in San Diego right now, so they're going to have to find new leadership. But I think you know, we've talked about two of the most special defensive linemen in the country. Um, does their talent and, and hopeful dominance uh, and the better experience along the back four um, open up for a more aggressive Notre Dame defense and a more attacking Notre Dame defense, and then what does that do to the game plan on the offensive side of the ball? Um, you know, last year was very much a almost trestle ball like right uh, <laughs> approach, and uh, does a change in the defense also bleed over to a change in the offense? I think it's going to be really, really, really exciting to see. So uh, we've we, we've put a bow on that. We've we've had you, the OFD listener, with us on this ride for about the last hour. Or so Eric, you want to give us some details on the publishing of this uh, podcast? Well, you know, where where can people find it? When will they be able to continue to subscribe? Yeah, we're taping this on a a Thursday night. Um, uh, I think we'll probably put this up around early part of next week or so. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, just like any normal podcast, and I would encourage people to go do that. Yeah, hey, you never know what you're going to get with the OFD podcast, guys. We really appreciate, and, and gals, we appreciate uh, all our readers and, and especially all of our listeners. You, mean, you guys know we like you the best. So uh, keep those comments coming and, and, uh, and tell all your friends about all the great things going on at OFD. Uh, for Eric and Simon, this is Joe Schuler wishing you all the best, and uh, go Irish. <laughs>